0: Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, uh, we've got a great show today because we're going to be talking about bereaved dads and uh, the life that they had and trying to deal with it and being in support groups. And uh, I call it making the most of Mr. Mom because we know from other men that we've interviewed, one of their deals is talking about that they have to get in touch with their soft side.
1: His name is Dr. Justin Yap, and he is a clinical psychologist and associate professor of psychiatry at the University of North Carolina. He co-leads the widowed parent program at University of North Carolina, and he is a co-author of the book, The Group, Seven Widowed Fathers Reimagining Life. Welcome to the show, Justin.
2: Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be on with you guys.
0: It's great to be on with you. Oh, and I forgot to say, uh, one of our new sponsors of the show is Soaring Spirits Foundation and the Chef Fernandez's group, and so yeah. we are welcoming them co-sponsoring uh, the show with us.
2: They're a great group. They've been—I uh, was uh, spoke at their conference, gosh, two or three years ago. Um, yeah, she's she and their group especially have been, been doing a lot of great work with a lot of young widows and widowers. You
0: started a men's bereavement group and got excited about writing this book, right?
2: Yeah, it really uh, came about organically. I actually am a psychologist at a cancer hospital here at, at University of North Carolina. And it so happened that we had, gosh, about eight years ago now, it so happened that we had several young mothers uh, who all unfortunately passed around the same time and uh, our team started thinking about their husbands who we had gotten to know a little bit um, while, while working with their wives and tried to refer them to a support group for widowed fathers that we naively thought would be easy to find. Uh, and we pretty quickly learned that there's just not a whole lot out there specifically for widowed parents, um, especially widowed fathers. And so we I decided to start a support group then and there, and that was, like I said, eight years ago, and we've been kind of going strong ever since, and have, uh, from that first group of men, built um, a program now where we have a website where we do uh, conduct research, we're publishing papers, and as you mentioned, um, my colleague, Don Rosenstein, and I wrote a book um, published earlier this year by Oxford Press about the seven men in that first support group, and the book weaves in Contemporary thoughts on grief and adaptation and post-traumatic growth um, and resiliency end with the story of these seven guys uh, and kind of tells their story over a three or four year period. So, the the men have been amazing partners through all this, and they encouraged us to write this book and use their real name and real stories. And uh, so we did that. So yeah, we have the book out. We've been uh, we've been. Uh, really hardened with some of the feedback that we we've gotten because there's not a whole lot out there specifically for widowed parents um and and to hear that this is resonating with those folks really means a lot
0: that's neat you know i was looking at some of your work and i was talking to heidi about it and i said uh one of the things that i think's interesting is uh you talk about dating pretty early on (laughs) and that's interesting because I think, I don't know what your take on it has been, but it seems to me that for women, uh, their biggest problem early on is not about dating. It's not about how to make money, how to take care of their kids, how to do some of those male things that for most women, uh, it, their routine is really shot in a, in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, and I would say for men that, that dating was not the first, second, or third thought for any of them. It was, um, you know, we we kind of say that on, on day one, uh, if you have children in the home, day one after losing your spouse, you know, you're faced with your own grief, all that entails. You're faced with shepherding your children through their own grief right. and then figuring out how to run a household by yourself and yeah. be an only parent. And that's big. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, if you think of each, you know, any one of those things is huge. Yeah. And to have all the, the confluence of those three things uh, come at once, and it, those are <laughs> very broad buckets uh, with, with a lot that goes into each of those. And then eventually, um, you know, a lot of the men that we've worked with and the women, we have a, women, a mothers group now, have started to, of course, think about moving forward in their own lives in different ways. And part of that is dating, uh, which which is its own, <laughs> its own. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, has it been um, your observation that men are more quickly connecting up than women are or not as far as remarriage and all that kind of thing or not?
2: Yeah. So just, I mean, just our observation, we don't have any of our own uh, data on this, but our observation is that, I mean, really it kind of varies. We have, seems like some fathers that we've worked with who have very young children Mm -hmm. um, are are maybe a little more inclined to remarry and or to be, you know, to kind of, you know, begin a relationship. And it seems like some of the men who have older teenagers say uh, are a little less inclined. Um, And that's, like I said, that's not, that's just kind of an observation. It's not, there's no data behind that that we know of, but um, Mm -hmm. the thought, our thought of that is that, If you only have, you know, it's a lot to introduce a new mother figure, and a a lot to have to start finding the time and the energy and the will to start dating again. And you know, if your kids are a couple years from being out of the house, then you know, kind of the thought of well, I'll just kind of, I'll just kind of hold off until they're until maybe they're out and make that a little easier. That makes sense. But if your kids are three, four, or five, the idea of waiting thirteen to fifteen years. might seem a little more daunting um and that's a really simplistic way of looking at it i
1: I would think it would be easier and i'm I'm stereotyping here to introduce young kids to somebody new than teenagers
2: yeah i i I think that's i think that probably is true and you know teenage years can be tough for a lot of reasons and um and we we've certainly heard our fair share of stories from uh, mothers and fathers um you know Dating again and what that means to their to their children and certainly adolescents can um, can can protest and yeah uh, right.
0: they can you know, log in for sure
2: yeah and it's I mean c- certainly dating again and and what that means is just a, a cool. it's it's really hard and really complex and at a time when you're already mentally and emotionally and maybe even financially taxed from everything you've been through um, starting to date again. I, I think is a, is a, is a need and a, and a desire that men have before they start acting on it, at least in situations that we've observed.
0: Yeah. I wanted to ask you also about in-laws. <laughs> people talk about that. I mean, that seems to, when we talk to uh, grandparents and people like that, it seems to be a big issue with how, how to deal with this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the first question is, um, are they still in-laws? Um,
1: yes. right. you that question. Know, do
2: you call them in-laws? Do you, you maybe call them something else, but, uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. I think a lot of that probably depends on a few things. One, what kind of relationship you had with your in-laws mm-hmm. you know, beforehand, uh, perhaps how close they are to you, uh, proximity wise, and then uh, maybe kind of how involved that they're going to be. So, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I think everyone that we've worked with, certainly understands and appreciates and wants for their children to have a relationship with their wives' uh, parents. Um, and sometimes that makes it trickier than, than other times, and I think that really varies individually. But, uh, you know, do we talk about in-laws and kind of what their role may be um, in the father's lives and certainly in the children's lives? That's not an infrequent topic of discussion in our group meetings. Right.
0: Now you, uh, some of these families or all of them, you saw them with the wife having cancer and then you were able to follow them or
2: not? Only some. So our, our group, uh, for the mother's group now that we have in, the father's group that we've been running for a while now, it, their wives or husbands or spouses or partners don't have to have been treated here at UNC. We okay. uh, we kind of take anyone. So it's probably about half and half of families that we have worked with and then refer them to the group and they join um, compared to ones who just hear about it or, um, you know, hear about it in other ways and, and join the group. So it's not a, it's not an automatic extension or an exclusive one just from who we see here.
1: I, I would imagine that the group, Justin, is not only a group of support, but a group of men giving other men advice. Like yeah. example, How do I deal with this with my daughter or how do I cook this or how do I just basic living things that maybe their, their spouse did and now she's no longer there.
2: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely, absolutely true. So there's a, a big support part um, that you mentioned. But then there's also the advice. And sometimes the fathers have, you know, great advice for each other. Sometimes right. they have, you know, here's what I did that did work. Here's what I did that hasn't worked. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes hearing it from hearing that kind of advice from someone who's in your position mm-hmm. uh, can, can mean a lot as opposed to coming from a, a friend or a co-worker or a family member who may not at least you may feel like would not completely understand what you're going through. So yes, some of the advice is great. And sometimes the fathers don't have advice for each other based on situation. And sometimes even that's reassuring, right? Like there's not any great advice. There's no great solution to this. There's no, there's no kind of easy, you know, bow to put on this. It's just a struggle. And sometimes sitting with and tolerating that struggle is um, as far as we see it is part of part of the adaptation process.
0: Yeah. Um. So, you have some people who have had a long-term illness, and some who have died suddenly. Do you see any difference in, in the coping, or?
2: You know what? So, in our experiences with the support groups, what what we see is that there's there's probably some difference. There's probably more of a difference in the early phases, whether or not you've been able to anticipate this death, or whether or not it's a sudden death. Uh. I, I think has a bigger impact on that initial coping and understanding and making sense um, but really as time goes on the challenges of being a widowed parent um, seem to be largely similar um, I, the one carve out to that I would say is that if you are a widowed parent due to suicide um, that 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 may be in a little bit of a category of its own or at least have some some unique challenges but As opposed to, or as you know, whether someone died from cancer or someone died in a motor vehicle accident, um, our sense is that, as far as being a widowed parent, the the challenge, the differences between those two, uh, pretty much evens out the longer you get away from the the point of Mm death. But that's also something that we're looking at with our uh, research studies. So we have on our website now we have a um, survey link where parents can, if they choose to, can fill out a survey. Um, And so far, we've had I think. 460 people fill it out and we're still collecting sure. new, new oh, data so that's actually a a question that we're looking to to shine more light on
1: what is the difference between being a woman it's a widow a widow and a, and a man is there have you seen differences in what they're struggling with
2: that's a, a, a great question one again I hope we can answer with some data but I think um we, we don't have a great answer to that because we, we don't, my uh, Don and I, we, we lead the father's group, but we have two of our colleagues who lead the mother's group. And so okay. we're just now starting to meet uh, to kind of discuss back and forth. What are you guys seeing compared to what we're seeing? Yeah. Um, and it seems, I think one kind of thing that we identified in our first meeting, which was just last week was that for widowed fathers, there seems to be a lot of, uh, a lot of people in society, a lot of neighbors, friends, family, kind of feel almost more sorry for them, and maybe uh, at least the fathers kind of see it as um, others questioning whether or not they can do the whole single parent thing. And well, so, and
1: I'm wondering if the in-laws too might come in with um, some <laughs> advice that might be appreciated and some that is not appreciated. You
2: again, know? I think I think that probably depends on the previous relationship that you had with your in-laws. Yeah, how receptive you are to new advice and then how that advice is 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 offered um and you know we, I think at the beginning there's certainly a you know these parents tell us that they just feel overwhelmed and they're just over their head so in, in some ways there's a little bit of a kind of anyone who can help us I'll take it but over time I, I think what happens is that these parents start to uh, feel a need to, or a desire and a desire to want to do it on their own a little bit sure. and not be so reliant upon others and we've had a couple of cases where that seems to be a friction point where the fathers have wanted to be a little more kind of make sure they can do this on their own and get a little bit less help and that can feel like pushing aside to in-laws or to friends or others.
0: Yeah um, you want to you feel confident at some point and This is a good segue because before we finish the show, I want to talk to you about post-traumatic growth.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we we have a whole chapter in the book about it. And um, it's not something, I mean, that's not, I mean, that's a a contract that's been around for, I think, 25 years um, by Tedeschi and Calhoun, a couple of guys in in North Carolina as well, in Charlotte. And it's... um,
1: We actually had him on our show.
2: Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. He's, Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're, I mean, they're uh, certainly pioneers in this work. Yeah. And that's not something that we hear a whole lot when men first join the group. Yeah. But it's something that we hear more and more. And the the way that our group works now, the way that we do it, is that we have kind of a rotating um, open door membership where new members can join. I mean, we, have it, we have it more structured than, than I'm making it sound like now. But it creates a kind of a veteran father, new father dynamic. And so some of the new fathers can come in and we've had a, a few situations where fa- new fathers have heard early on in their joining the group, heard from more veteran fathers, instances of where they've grown, where they've grown closer to their children or where they feel um, more involved as parents or even more competent in parents as parents uh, over time. And that actually gives the new people hope, right? Like, cause at the very right. beginning it's, it feels overwhelming and the idea that, You may grow or benefit, or that this may have any silver lining. Sounds yeah, um, can sound tone deaf. But when you hear it from someone who's been in your shoes, it doesn't sound tone deaf. It sounds encouraging, and it sounds like a light that you can uh, hope to reach yourself one day. I love that. Okay,
0: so I want you to tell people if they want. Well, I'll say what I would think: how to get into your study.
2: Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's, um,
0: so start out with your study.
2: Yeah, so uh, the study is, is we have a website, it's www.widowedparent.org, and the site serves two purposes. One is just a resource and a support for widowed parents anywhere. Uh, We have a series of videos featuring some people who have been in our group. We have a whole kind of list of specific resources and links. Um, We did a 13, 14 minute video that parents may find interesting, so and, uh, and an internet that has anything you can imagine. It's the only thing, at least, that we know of that's specific for widowed parents. And on that site, there is a link if parents choose to. They don't have to. But if they want to, to fill out about a about a 20-minute survey, uh, that's really going to help us learn more about the widowed parent experience. And then, in turn, how to uh, provide services that are more tailored to widowed parents. And then uh, the, the book is called oh, The Group. Seven Widowed Fathers Reimagine Life, and it's, it's actually, it's not a book specifically for widowed parents per se, it's a book for anyone who's looking to uh, learn and, and, and cope with adversity, especially uh, grieving a loss. It's not a how-to book, it's really more of a how they did book, I'm talking about the seven men who were in the first support group, and then with that, with their stories, we weave in um, contemporary thoughts on things like post-traumatic growth and resiliency, to kind of bring to life those concepts through the um, through the story of these seven men who we've become well, big fans of, and all proceeds from the book go back to the program. Uh, Don and I are not much for capitalism, apparently. Because uh, the,
1: the first time I ever saw the book was in Dr. Donna Sherman's hands.
2: Oh, uh, it doesn't get much. Uh, it, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. It
1: doesn't. She was the executive director for the Dougie Center. For those of you yeah. who've known this for over twenty-five years. And serves on the board of the Compassionate Friends with me today. She was walking around reading it, and she said to me, "Heidi, you've got to have these guys on. This book is fabulous." Well, I was like, hey, Donna, you're giving it the, the stamp of approval. So uh,
2: yeah, again, getting the stamp of approval from Donna Sherman—that's uh, that's that's about as good as it gets. And we've actually been really fortunate. The books we've been on um, the Today Show, NPR, right. Time Magazine, that's People the- Magazine, of all places. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's. It's yeah. We we've been fortunate, so we're 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 happy to tell these guys stories in a way that hopefully will help others.
0: Great, and I'm sure you can get it on Amazon as well. Amazon,
2: sent a lot of Barnes and Nobles, and hopefully some independent bookstores, but I'm not sure about that.
0: Well, hey, thank you so much for being on our show today. We're very absolutely.
2: Honored. I really and- appreciate the invitation, and uh, and really appreciate all the great work that you guys continue to do.
0: Thank you, and I want to remind you this uh, show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation in partnership with the Soaring Spirits Foundation. And uh,
1: Heidi and I always want to tell everyone: if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God